Um, there are some resources on the back table there if you're interested. Um, written some books for small groups to use for various things. Uh, the Shepherd book that I talked about is back there, and uh, some uh, resources to get some podcasts that we do is back there, so feel free to, to stop and browse that table. There's a little basket where you throw the money. I know it's not high security, but that's the way life goes. Um, you know, it's, it's such a privilege to be able to talk to anybody in our nation about things that matter. Because there's so many things that we talk about that don't matter. But there's things that do matter. And uh, I appreciate, uh, last night, I guess I went a little on, but the, as an old teacher, I usually talk as long as you're with me. And so if you really want me to stop earlier, start nodding off and... and <laughs> And going like this and stuff like that, you know. Then I realize I got to get out of here because you're not listening anymore. Um, and uh, usually I have two or three places I can stop uh, along the way because I, I'm watching for that. And so very rarely I commend you. Last night I got through them all, so that, that was pretty good. Um, and I appreciate that. Yeah, life, life to me still is, you know, maybe, I, I often think, maybe because I'm not that smart or something, I, I keep boiling it down to the simple. Um, I, I remember um, my junior year in college, I, I, and I was, it's a long story, but I'm, I'm, I never really was an athlete growing up. I cut, cut from a no-cut baseball team. I was in a wheelchair and, and crutches and all kinds of stuff in and out, so I was never really you know, the, the athlete, you might say. And uh, I remember my college year, my junior year, my coach was waiting for us as we got to the banquet and the awards and stuck his hand out. And he had lost a finger somewhere, so we always kind of enjoyed making fun of his hands. And um, college kids now, you know. And he would stick all three and a half fingers out and want to shake my hand. And he said, congratulations, you were voted number one in our state in our division, whatever. I said, I remember my response was, why? <laughs> and his response was very quick, because you listened to us. I thought, oh yeah, I did. You know, as a player, I always found it interesting. The coach said, do this. Oh, okay. <laughs> do that. But my job, I was a defensive end, and I'm the same weight now that I was then, so I was about 100 pounds lighter than I should have been. And my job really was to make the linebackers all Americans. In other words, everyone that was pulling and trying to block, I was just supposed to knock them down somehow, get in their way, slow them down. And I thought, I can do that. I was one of the best at getting in their way. And the coaches used to just be irritated because that's what I did. I got in their way. They had a plan around that. And, uh, and the coach, I, I'll just, I never forget how simple he answered, though. It's because you listened to us. I thought, well, that's all anyone has to do if they play. You're the ones who are supposed to put everything together. I just listen. There are warning signals all over the place that we just ignore. And if we see a warning signal, we really should do something about it. Or when the inevitable result comes, we should say, hmm. I should have done something about it because we don't like what we saw. This is the, uh, I remember where I was, this is the Challenger explosion in 1986. It's interesting because uh, according to the report, this shouldn't have happened. I'll read it to you. 
In uh, January 28, 1986, the Challenger Space Shuttle exploded over the skies of Florida while being watched by millions of people on the ground and on live television. The explosion was caused by a formation of ice around the space shuttle's O-rings, which were used to separate the rocket boosters from the shuttle. Of course, there were warnings. This time, they came from Bob Ebeling, an engineer who worked for the company that produced the booster. He had warned that the extremely cold weather would prevent the O-rings from sealing property and would cause the explosion. He told him that before it took off. The delay was initially granted, but later dismissed by executives who were under pressure to get the shuttle into space, as the launch had already been delayed six days. When Bob complained, one of the executives told him that the Challenger was not his burden to bear. Can you imagine that? This guy knew this was going to happen. And he was told, this isn't your burden to bear. Sometimes I think that's what we do. We look at what's not working in our nation and our families, and we just decide this isn't our problem. We can always do something. The least I can do for somebody is pray for them. I can ask God to intervene. He's everywhere at once. He knows what actually to do. I don't. I'll probably put my foot in my mouth or something, but he's not going to. Anyway, he was told the challenger was not your burden. The shuttle took off against Bob's insistence only and exploded in midair 73 seconds later. And the whole world watches. I remember watching it, and I remember the sinking feeling of those people just got burned up that were on there. And they had family, and people loved them. And, and you know, it was because they didn't listen to somebody who knew what they were talking about. I can understand why NASA didn't give me a call. Right? I don't know what I'm talking about. But the engineer of the project who says there's going to be a problem, and then just basically says to the people, act like that. Act in accordance with the idea that this isn't going to work. And they said no. The people who decided to launch it that day, I'm, I'm sure were convinced it would launch and be fine. But what did they base it on? What, what, what did they base their decision on? And I look at our nation, I see the same thing. It's like, oh, we'll be fine. What are you basing that on? Because God, who knows, says this. People who know God say this. So what are you basing your decision on? What do you personally base your decision on? As you make decisions for your own life, what do you base them on? How you feel? They felt like this launch would be great. The, how it would look to everybody? NASA is beginning to look a little crummy. We can't look that way. Get this thing launched. Well, how do they look now? We should really listen to the one that knows. That's God. That's how simple that is. You know, I really hope that uh, all of you read your Bible through every year, cover to cover. Just read it through. If you read it at a fifth grade level and you read it aloud, it'll take you 15 minutes a day. Is that too much to ask? Just read it through so you know what it says. You don't need to know any of my illustrations or any of my stories, but you need to know God. So read the Bible. Know what he says. Know the signals. Respond to him. If you want to argue, argue with him. 
I know some of you are NASCAR fans, and anything I say now is not anti-NASCAR, but I think a lot of times we live NASCAR kind of lives. If you ever think about it, these guys put millions of dollars into a car that goes nowhere. And then they, they get there, and they, they pay these guys big money and everything, and they, they spend hours going nowhere. And the one who goes nowhere the fastest is a hero. <laughs> you ever think of that? They're in the, the winter circuit going, look at me, I went nowhere the fastest. And everyone's going, whoa, I hope I can do that someday. <laughs> and I think, boy, is that like life or what? We're spending all this money and time and capital on our lives, and we're headed nowhere. And at the end, people go, this guy was great. Why? Because he went nowhere really big. Really big. Now, don't come to me later and say you hate NASCAR. I never said anything against the sport. It's just I find it amusing that we celebrate people that go nowhere the fastest. And we keep trying to figure out how to make it safe to go nowhere the fastest. And how to make it entertaining to go nowhere the fastest. You're building a car to go nowhere. Yeah, I got a guy here building a car to go nowhere the fastest. Congratulations. It's a big accomplishment. I, I got to get off this. C.S. Lewis said, I find myself a desire which no experience in the world can satisfy. The most, if I find myself a desire which no experience in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. We keep trying to find satisfaction in something here, and we realize we can't. We've got to dopamine it up again. And, and maybe it's God saying it's because you can't. <laughs> That's not where satisfaction comes from. Hey, there's nothing wrong again with NASCAR, but there's no satisfaction in life going nowhere. There's nothing wrong with a good steak, but that's going to fade and that's not going to give you the satisfaction in life. Not, not you can't enjoy it, not that you can't enjoy a race, but the bottom line really is that's not where satisfaction is. So what we have to do is realize in our lives when we start really seeking satisfaction in areas like that, we're going to be profoundly disappointed. Getting us back to the depression, the anxiety, the stuff we talked about. So, so if I simplify it a little bit, I can go, well, there is a way to be satisfied in life, but it's, it's, it's a little bit simple. It's that sheep thing again, remember? Just stay by the shepherd. It's important to understand how to be satisfied. I'm going to talk about some things that we can do, things that are troubling in some respects and things we can do. But one of the things that really is interesting is how often we aim at the wrong target. And there's two target areas. There's process and there's goal. There's a destination. So in the NASCAR illustration, there's a process. You've got to build a car. You've got to 
but they're building it with something in mind. We need to be the one that can go nowhere the fastest. And we got to turn, where they turn left. So we got to turn left really well. And we got to go nowhere the fastest. And we got to have, so, so what they do is they keep that in mind. This is the goal is to get nowhere the fastest, turn left, you know. Okay. So then they watch the process because the process has to support this. So everything they do on the car has to support going nowhere the fastest. A lot of times what happens in our life is we begin to, to lose that. We either just look at the goal. I want to be, you know, I, I remember as a kid, and I've used this illustration a lot. I told my dad, after all the sports disasters I had, I said, I, I should play basketball. He goes, well, you can. I was terrible. And, I said, and he said, just go out there every day now and start shooting 1,000 free throws a day. So what my dad was going is, you can have that goal, that's fine. But you better start looking at the process that gets you there. It's kind of like, I want to play the piano. Okay, well, go. no, I don't want lessons. I don't want to practice. I, I want to play. You don't understand. I want to play. It, okay. But you messed up a little here. You know, and, and do, you, do you know how many hours a football player puts into practice? And how many actual minutes they play a, a game? The average play is like four to five seconds. And then we stand and suck wind for about a minute and a half. And then we do that again. And if you add that all up, you got minutes in a game that you actually did something. Minutes. And we practiced years. I have a friend who's a speed skater and it was in four Olympics. Four Olympics, 20 years of practice. 20 years of never having it off her mind to be a speed skater. She only, the best she did was get fourth, so she lost. Olympians consider that losing. 20 years. And the race was determined by hundreds of a second Everything about their life, how they slept, how they ate, everything revolved around standing on the podium one day. The process was looked at continually and how it affected the outcome. That's where we as Christians a lot of times fail. I don't know how many Christians I've talked to say, you want to love God? I want to love God. So what are you doing about it? Well, I'm, I'm loving him. Do you know who he is? You know, someone come up to you and say, I'm disappointed with God. My first response to them is, well, then you don't know him. How dare you say that? Why? I know him. I'm not disappointed in him. I'm not overly thrilled with everything I experience in life. But if you know God, you're not going to be disappointed in him. But see, one is looking at the process. What in your life keeps you from knowing God? So, so you have this one goal over here that's pretty simple. I want to know God. I want to love God. I want to... Okay, fine. That, that's, those are good goals. I want to go nowhere the fastest. Okay. That could be a goal. But now look at this side of it. Don't just say, I want to go there and ignore this. And, and what's happened to a church that loves mercy and grace is, is we call anyone that looks at the process side legalistic or something. 
Because they're actually looking at something they're actually doing and saying, I really should do that. Well, you know you're saved by grace. And I understand that. However, I also understand that there are factors in my life and Satan is really good at playing them. So I need to watch them. I need to, as the Bible says, I need to uh, guard my heart. Because from it flows what I say, what I do, and a lot of this stuff. So if I have a goal, you know, if you have a goal, and you should have these goals, if you have a goal of, of having a, a, a great marriage, okay, that you should. So, so are you in the process of doing things that will cause that? If not, I'm not saying, you know, don't have the goal. No, adjust and have both goals. And, and you'll find you'll adjust your life. I, I use the illustration a lot. My wife and I go for a three-mile walk every day when it's not, you know, 100 below and windy, whatever. And so we, we go for a three-mile walk. Um, and you know what? For our relationship, if you were to ask my wife, Linda, what, what is it, you know, what, what's a single factor in your marriage that you think is important? She'll say that walk. She knows if I'm at home, I'm not listening. I'm looking at whatever else we need to do. I'm thinking about something else. I'm, I'm in my own environment. You know, it's not that I'm not looking at her. I'm just probably not listening. You know, I, I really don't want to sit across from a table and talk eye to eye like that with her for an hour. I don't know. Maybe I'm weird, but it's not my thing. Get me walking with her? I'm fine. Spill my guts. She's, she loves it. So what do we do every day when we're walking? Legalism? No. Goal. Good marriage? Goal. Process gets us there. You should all have the overall goal, which is simple. You need to know God. If you look at the motto of this place, you, you, you know, it says to know Christ, to make him known, and really that's the whole life thing right there. I need to know him, and then I need to make him known. So everything in the process that I have in life should do that. Anything that stops that should be kicked out of my process, if, if that makes sense. One of the things that stops us as a nation and individual is the idea of tolerance. We put up with things that we shouldn't put up with, and then we live in a culture that says we should put up with things we shouldn't put up with. Tolerance is not something that is a positive characteristic. Tolerance means that we begin to normalize evil. I, I would suggest to you, if you go through the Bible, you'll see that God is not tolerant. That's not listed as one of his cat, 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 characteristics. Thank you, I had to stop there and grab my tongue. But it's not listed as one of his characteristics. He's not tolerant. There, he's not going to in heaven someday say, oh yeah, you're, you're still living in sin. I'm okay with that. There's no tolerance there. So what happens is a lot of times in our journey, we become people who, who kind of pride ourselves in being tolerant, but tolerant is evil. I mean, if, I'm, if I see you doing something that's destroying you, and I said, that's okay, I'm a tolerant person. I'm okay in you doing something that destroys you. Why would I do that? If I care about you and love you, why would I do that? I don't do that. I'm not tolerant of evil. Now, now you got you to understand 
There's so many words that get thrown out there. The, the simple is that God is intolerant, but he is this other word. He's patient. Patient can often be mistaken for tolerance because patient is much different. Patience is you have a child and they're starting to play baseball and t-ball is it, you know, and, and they keep missing the t-ball. And, and you're patient because you realize they want to hit it, they're working at it, I need to keep it. So you're patient because there's, there's going to be progress down the road. Now, if progress stops, then you have to be tolerant. So, so somebody you know, stops progressing to where you want them, and you say, that's okay, you'll still start. What you just did is you slipped from patience to tolerance. And mediocrity follows. So a nation that keeps saying, no, tolerance is really important, I look at them and go, you know what, if you mean patience, I agree with you, but if you mean tolerance, I really don't. Because you really can't tolerate evil. I mean, if it's really evil. And really, if you look at a culture, they have their line drawn in the sand somewhere. They're, they're, they don't tolerate everything. Not any culture tolerates everything. There's somewhere where they say, you shouldn't have done that. The, the Chauvin trial, for example, there was a line in the sand there. You're going to go on trial for that. Well, a, a really tolerant people wouldn't have done that. So, so we're not tolerant to everything. We're, it's funny when people start talking about how, the, how important it is to be tolerant. And it's like, we're not tolerant. We're, you're only tolerant for things you think are right. So the word is, is, is kind of lost its whole meaning. And, and, and what they'll do is they'll throw it at a Christian or somebody who has some other conservative values and say, you need to be more tolerant. And you look at them and go, no, I don't. You're not tolerant. I'm not tolerant either. We don't ever accept things that aren't right. Patient? Oh, absolutely. You know, I've, I've talked to some of you. You come and say, boy, you know, I'm still struggling here. And it's like, I don't say, get out of here. You're an evil person. No, you know what I see right away? It's like, okay, let's keep working on it. You want to work on it? Let's work on it. That's patience, not tolerance. And, 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 and the reason I spent so much time on it is because it's a critical understanding and, and really helps people along the way because all of a sudden they're saying, yeah, I think we should be tolerant because I want to be a nice person. No, 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 not tolerant. Be patient, though. Be patient because God is working with you. He's working with me. He's working with us as a nation. He's working with the world. Just be patient that way. The, the deal is God's not finished. God knows when he has to switch things from patience to I'm, you're paying for it. He knows. See, I'm not in that position. I can't read your heart like he does. So God knows. He, for Dave, he thinks... Uh, I mean, have you ever got to the point where you say, oh, God, will I ever learn this? I'm still doing things I shouldn't do. Well, I, God goes, well, you know what? Confession is key, Dave, and you just did that. I would challenge all of you, and this message isn't on that, but again, confession is a simple thing. Sometimes we equate it with being sorry. It's not. It's confession. Confession is like an alcoholic that comes to you and you say, are you an alcoholic? The first thing is they have to do is say Yes. That's confession. The first thing they say is, you're not going to say, yeah, I hate the taste of alcohol. That, that's not what happens first. 
first they, they confess that they have a problem. Even, even those who are secular people understand the value of confession. And, and God tells us, when you sin, the very first step is to say, I sinned. That's the first step. Uh, you may not feel sorry for it right away, I understand, but you still need to do that. You know, with my diet, if you put a big cake in front of me and I ate the whole thing, then you said, do you feel sorry for that? I'd say, no, but I shouldn't have eaten it. In, in other words, I'm, I'm not mixing up the ideas. It's a simple idea. Now, eventually, when you do right long enough, what's wrong does bother you. But it may not bother you on day one. So you just have to agree with God. And the reason you do that, as I tell kids all the time, is because God is uh, older than you and smarter than you and loves you. So you can trust him. That's a pretty simple thing. When you find someone that's older, smarter, and loves you, go ahead, relax, and trust them. So when God tells you to do something, you just do it. And you say, well, I would like to do my own thing, but I'm not. I'm doing what God says. I would still find pleasure doing my own thing, but God tells me not to. So I won't. And down the road, what you find is that he is older than you, smarter than you, and loves you. And you should have trusted him because he was right. So I am encouraging you to be patient people without turning to the tolerant side. Patience as we work with anybody because God's not finished working yet. But don't start okaying sin. Don't start people being people. We are trying to find somebody in any authoritative position to approve of what we do. It's the way we're wired. Don't be the one who approves evil. Love the person, though. You know, you look again to the Bible, look at the, the, those who withstood the government, the kings, and they were always respectful, always respectful. Look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how they, how they responded to King Nebuchadnezzar. Look at Daniel, how he responded. Look at Joseph, how he responded. Respect, 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 respect. But they didn't tolerate their evil. I'm never telling somebody you should be disrespectful. But you should not tolerate what's wrong either but do it respectfully. You know, the truth is this. The truth, the truth is, you mess with me and I'm listening to God, my father will get you. I don't need to. And you don't want to be on that end. And I'm sorry, I, tell, I only have one life, so my stories get old, I understand that. But when I was in Africa and I was speaking and we had broke down several times, and uh, the guy had four tires, and we just got our fourth flat. And we stopped, and but as the missionary pulled over, he said, this would be a good time to pray. And I said, why? We've stopped before. He goes, not here. This is a bad area. So I stopped, and, and I, there was a young guy with us, and I told the young guy, because he was a young guy, get out there and change that tire. And, and uh, there was a group of people starting to walk towards us, and they had clubs and things, and didn't look overly friendly. And uh, so I said, why don't you change that tire and fast? And I said, I'm going to go stall them for a while and see what I could do. So I walked towards these guys and I say, hi, how you doing? And all of a sudden they all drop their sticks and they're all looking at me and I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, you're seeing who you're messing with here. <laughs> I forgot my buddy was behind me. He had just bought an African king outfit. 
He's six foot 10, 320 pounds. And he was standing right behind me smiling. So they all dropped their sticks. And I didn't see him. I'm thinking, yeah. And then he says hi behind me. I go, oh, brother. And then all of a sudden I just said, I'm with him. Right? I'm with God. Satan goes, yeah, no. Down with the stick. I, I don't have to stop Satan. That's not my job. My job is to love God and say I'm with him. Satan goes away then. Because Satan's counting on making sure that I'm the one he fights. Because he could beat me. But he, he's never been able to beat God at anything. So I just say, you know what? I'm with him. Satan goes, yeah, I know. I know, I'm out of here. I'm still with him, you know. Yeah, I know, I'm leaving. Right, because I can't get you on. He's standing there. You see, tolerance isn't my goal. Adjusting my life, patience is my goal. Sermon on the Mount. You got to love the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's so fascinating how Jesus looks at the people. Remember last night I told you this, this sermon, Jesus, is like the other one. He looked at the city, he wept. Listen to this. Uh, Matthew 5, verse 1, it says, seeing the crowds. That's it, he's looking at the crowds again. Boom, and then this whole message just bursts out of him. So you're wondering, okay, seeing the crowd, he went upon the mountain and he sat down. His disciples came to him. Verse 2, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, that's why I know he wasn't wearing a mask. <laughs> yeah, he opened his mouth and talked, so they saw it, so he, well, no mask. Now, all right, don't use that passage to prove that you shouldn't wear masks, please. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. He went through it. He started to talk about, actually, the process of what those who love God look like. So what you do is then you look at that and go, if those aren't a part of my life, that's a warning. There's something I don't understand. And, and you can read those verses and you can say, there's something I don't understand because I don't believe this, but God said it. So the simple is, God said it, he's right on, okay, I got to figure out what don't I understand. In the end, you may not understand stuff. But you know that he's God, he's older than you, smarter than you, he loves you, you can trust him, so that's what you do. Uh, it goes on, though. In, in the 17th verse, he says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until the heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law till all is accomplished. Therefore, Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. You ever hear anyone now saying, well, you know, it's, I know the Bible said this, but things have changed. They haven't. Not on the things that matter. Not on the things that God spoke of and said, this is the way it is. Those haven't changed, they never will. And Jesus is saying, you realize that not, 
Not a bit of what's true is going to change. So the truth that you and I know from the scriptures isn't something that's evolving. So the people today, the churches today are saying, well, oh yeah, we accept this behavior, that behavior, fill in the blank behavior. Because scriptures really, they, they, they were, they're antiquated. This is how this culture lives. No, if it's truth, if it's simple truth, it's not going to be changed. And, and when we change the truth, we will answer to God for that. We will answer to him. One of the things that was frightening to me personally was how some public officials at the time of the inauguration put their hand on a Bible and uttered things and used the Bible to say they were doing right. When the very Bible their hand was on was talking about things that they were doing wrong. That's dangerous. Now, they don't have to answer to me for that, but I do believe they'll answer to God for that. You see, what Jesus is saying is, you know, I want you to understand the process is in place. You want to, you know, when Jesus came and they asked him why he came to earth, he didn't say, I came so that you could be in heaven. That, being in heaven, see, that's, sometimes that's the goal we have, but that's not the goal. He said, I came to give you life. That's different. There, there are warning signs through there. And what's interesting is how Jesus begins to go into the process things. Not just the goal things, but the process that brings you there. And that's what I want you to examine today, the simple processes in life that either uphold the goal of knowing Christ and making him known or stop the goal, hinder it, change the process. Those NASCAR guys, always, you see them always tweaking and change the process. We're not getting what we want out of this yet. Like, we're not going to reach the goal we want. In, in the 21st verse, you have heard you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. You have heard this goal, don't murder people. We understand that. No one in this room would think that murder is a good thing to do. Why? Because we know the goal, don't murder. Here's what Jesus says, though. But I say to you, it's interesting that he goes, but I say to you, me, God, here's what I say. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. That word can be translated hate as well. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus said, you know what? If you really want to be one who doesn't murder people, don't just try and stop murdering people. Stop the process. Because if you don't hate, you won't murder. Let the hate be the warning signal. Let the hate be the signal. Get correction then. He doesn't stop there, obviously. You know what? You, you know, sorry, I'm old. These words are little on my screen. That's why I struggle sometimes. You have heard that it said, 
you shall not commit adultery. Again, the goal, you don't commit adultery. That's the goal. But I say to you, you know what he says? He says, don't lust. Do you realize what he's doing? He's saying adultery and lust, same level of problem. In a modern Christianity, we're, we're bent on saying, no, 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 just don't commit adultery. You know what? If you don't lust, you're not going to commit adultery. Let lust be the warning signal that you're headed there. And when it happens, you'll look back and go, oh, I should have corrected it here. Yeah, because if you don't lust, that's not going to happen. It's interesting. I don't know how many guys I've talked to that struggle. They're alcoholics. And uh, I, I don't touch alcohol. And one of the reasons is I know that if I never touch it, I'll never be an alcoholic. See, it's, it's just simple math to me. Say, well, evil. look, I'm not preaching about the evils of anything. I'm just saying, if I don't touch it, I'm not going to be an alcoholic. And I've seen an awful lot of destruction from people who have been alcoholics. In my own family, I've seen it. So, no touch. Process thinking to go with the goal. See, there's those two steps that are tied together that I have to think about. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You've heard people say you should love people that do good to you and hate those. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. God says, you know, the process, when you start hating people, that's a warning signal. It's a warning signal. Let's do something with it. I challenge you to go back and read, you know, Matthew chapter 5. Just look at the warning signals that he's given you. This is Jesus, not Dave. He's just saying, not good, not good, not good, not good. Why? Because the goal, remember, you're in two places with your goal. One is, I want to be a faithful husband. That's, that's one goal. The other is then, I want to be in my processes of life doing things that support that goal. And when I don't care about this anymore, this side, well, then this side becomes a reality that I'm going to struggle with. Process thinking, goal thinking, it's really all wrapped in one. NASCAR people, that's what they do. I got to win, be the fastest, going nowhere. Let's keep thinking how we do that. I want to leave it there and, and, and keep it simple. As you read God's word, there's going to be things in there that you don't understand. It's okay. God's older than you, smarter than you, and loves you. Just listen to him right now. Because, again, this goal starts to work on these goals. There's a movement in our country right now, a very big movement, to live in the moment. Again, I I think, believe it or not, if you don't want to take it out of context, that living in the moment is this goal. This is the process side. So you do think about the moment and how it's going to affect this goal. And yes, you can get to where you don't think about the moment at all, so you never arrive over here. Or you can only 
think about the moment and not know why you're doing it. And that's what happens to a lot of kids that grow up in Christian homes. They have no idea of the overall goal, so they get to a certain point where they don't know why they're doing what they're doing, so they quit. Because they don't have this goal in mind. You know, a kid growing up, obviously the goal is we want them to love Jesus. That's the goal. Do they know that's why we're doing what we're doing? No, I'm doing it because I don't want to get in trouble. That's not the goal. I'm doing it. You know, I asked a mom when she was up here, I said, so what's your goal for the kids? And the mom looked at me and said, I hope they just stay out of jail. I said, well, that's pretty low. (laughs) You know, you got any other goals? Do your kids know, do the people around you know the goal is to know Christ, to make them known? Is that the goal? Then you have something to evaluate everything else on. But if you're missing either one of those, life gets complicated, and all of a sudden there's all this stuff you don't understand going on. And you're doing stuff, it's exploding, but it doesn't matter because you weren't headed anywhere anyway. You live in a NASCAR life, or it's the Alice in Wonderland life. Don't read that book. That girl doesn't say very many intelligent things. One thing is that she basically said, you know, I had a conversation once, and where are you going? I don't know. And if you don't know where you're going, it doesn't matter. Just go, you know, it's like, yeah, you're right. It matters one day. One day, when you're no longer here, you're going to want God to look at you as his son and say, well done. That's what you're going to want at that moment. I want to tell you something that we know about God. He doesn't lie. There's no well done if it wasn't. Oh, and you don't have to be perfect for that either, by the way, because he knows that too, because he's patient. He's been working with you all along with mercy and grace, so that's not the issue. But one day, if that's all that's going to matter, if that's it, if that's all that's going to matter one day, how does everything over here fit that? And now you've kind of simplified things, kind of complicated things. But really, in the end, it's simple because the goal is I really want to be that sheep that's right by the shepherd. I want to know who he is. I want to listen to him. That's the simple side. This gets in the way of that. Too much news, maybe. Too much media, too much... This gets in the way, trim it back. Yeah, you're legalist. I didn't say it's going to solve all your problems, but if it gets in the way, it's not going to help. Go for a walk, whatever you need to do. You're not legalistic for doing things that bring you to the goal. You're wise. That's different. Let me pray. Father, again, thank you for your word, and thank you for the clarity that's in your word. I pray that your spirit will work on each of our hearts and Draw us to yourself. Allow us to understand the things that we can understand, that your spirit will reveal to us so that our lives can represent you the way that they were meant to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.